a lot can happen over the course of three years. I mean, I have a three-year-old son. My guest on today's show proves it. He managed to build a dropship auto parts e-commerce business from zero to $8 million in just three years. He's going to show in this week's episode how he was able to consistently double revenue year on year. I mean, he did $2 million, $4 million, $8 million. And if you're thinking about dropshipping for your e-commerce venture, how to start and how he manages 500,000 SKUs and planning to double the number of SKUs in the store. It is packed with great info that's sure to inspire you grow your e-commerce operations. So listen in and catch you soon. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show, where we interview founders of fast-growing seven- and eight-figure e-commerce businesses and e-commerce experts. They'll tell their stories, share how they 2X their businesses, and inspire you to take action in your own online retail business today. And now, here he is, the man in the mix, Kunle Campbell. Hello, 2Xers. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show. Um, It's been a while. I'm your host, Kunle Campbell, and this is the podcast where I interview e-commerce entrepreneurs and online marketing experts who help uncover e-commerce marketing tactics and strategies to help you my fellow 2xers and listeners double specific e-commerce metrics in your online stores so if you're looking to double metrics such as conversions average order value repeat customers traffic and ultimately sales you're in the right place now on today's show i have with me michael dash he is the president of carpartsking.com a new york-based auto parts online retail business they're a seven-figure business, easily your eight-figure business. Michael, together with his partner, David Gitman, are co-founders of Copper Square Ventures, CSV. CSV has actually been the launchpad of several successful e-commerce businesses, Car Parts King being one of them, and um, they're plumbers.com, strictlypersonal.com, and um, you know channel reply reply right which is uh, an SAS um, a SaaS software as a service venture i'll be talking today about car parts kings with, with with michael without further ado i'd like to welcome michael dash to the show welcome to the show michael thank you for being here oh, thanks for having me could you take a minute or two to 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 tell us about yourself you know um, and, and your background Sure. Uh, I grew up in New York. Uh, I went to school in the South in New Orleans. Mm. Uh, came back to New York to work. I started out in the real estate world in finance, then construction. Okay. And then um, I ventured into the startup world uh, where I was involved in a healthcare startup. That's where I met uh, my partner, David. Uh, we worked there for a couple of years, exited, and I uh, believe we would work well together. So we started Cooper Square Ventures shortly thereafter and decided to go into the e-commerce world. Okay. Um, let's take a few steps back into real estate. What kind of real estate did you were you into? Was it residential, commercial at the time? or It was a little of both. It was uh, financing. So I provided financing. financing for development deals. And, and how, long, how long did you 
did you do it? Um, I did it about five years, um, okay. which then led me to become a project manager within construction companies. Mm. Uh, so I worked at a very large uh, developer construction company who used the GC out jobs. And I was the project manager at you know, 100 million plus buildings uh, throughout Manhattan and Brooklyn. Interesting, for five years. And then you moved into the hospitality, well, hospitals, into the medical space. Yes. Um, what Could you break down what you guys you know, did in terms of um, your venture and, into that? What was the product? Sure. We, um, we were providing an infotainment system into hospitals and healthcare centers and mm. nursing home facilities. So uh, similar to something that you would see in uh, Virgin Airlines, um, video on demand, Skype, games, you, know, you name it, you'd be able to uh, interact on a touchscreen monitor in a hospital or a um, nursing home or wherever you had somebody in a bed for an extended period of time. On a hospital bed to, 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 yeah. to, to keep you active really exactly and, uh, yeah very captive audience and, uh, and you could skype and you know watch your videos and then you you exited that business mm-hmm. and you started car parts king yeah we were looking into a couple different ventures at the time and uh, came across a good opportunity in auto parts we had a great supplier who was willing to work with us and we decided it was a good field with a higher barrier to entry uh, wasn't like any other e-commerce company we had looked into, so um, we went after it. Okay, let's let's step back a bit. Um, how sure. many options? How many e-commerce sort of industries or verticals did you kind of identify or look into before um, you, you decided it was car parts? There was a number. There was a couple. Um, nothing specific. It was more we're looking into industries. And car parts came about naturally as I knew somebody in the industry uh, already. So I went to talk to them about it and they, uh, they gave us some advice, uh, told us how it works as far as distribution and fitment. And that's when we decided it would definitely be a good field to go into for us. This was in 2000 and... 2010. 2010. Okay. And you started selling actively in 2010 or 2011? 2011. 11. Okay. All right. So why car parts? You know, um, they're quite complex. And, Um, you know, it's one of the best reasons right there. Uh, It's it's a very, very high barrier to entry. If you don't have uh, one, the connections to get the data and two, the technology chops to handle that data, uh, you aren't going to be able to last. Uh, you won't, won't be able to start or last in the industry. So it's not like every single person that can go out there and start a clothing company or a electronics company or any other e-commerce company that's out there now and have a million different competitors. There's only a very few select number of people that can go out there and sell auto parts and do it well. Okay, how many brands do does car parts King actually? You know, um, cater for so Car Park Kings has about 250 different manufacturers that we deal with now, and that list is growing on a monthly basis. So, um, we carry over 500,000 SKUs. Um, each one of those SKUs fits about 50 different vehicles on average. So, you have about 200, I'm sorry, two and a half billion rows of fitment to deal with uh, on a daily basis. 
Right. So, so, so one product would work with 50 different models of, of cars. Exactly. Yeah. So when you're buying a car part online, it's not like you could just go online and buy a brake pad. Let's say that brake pad has to fit your 2010 BMW 328 mm-hmm. uh, with a 3.2 liter engine and rear wheel drive. So how do you even start to, to deconstruct that? You, you probably have to start from, from the cars themselves because um, people um, logically well, search the, cars. Well, the data is obviously the most important part. We have to make sure that we get good data. Um, okay. We get data from uh, a number of different sources, direct from manufacturers, from distributors, from co-op societies. I mean, we're handling data from a lot of different places that touch a lot of different people. So we bring all that data into a centrally located ETL process, which pulls that data in, transforms it, and loads it into uh, our database. Your structure. Cause, exactly. Yeah, because um, I guess when, when, when those data sources were, you know, were, were being built, they were not for, for the internet at all. They were probably for sales, no. for managing sales. No, I or... mean, most of, most of the data actually comes directly out of paper catalogs. Right. So it was scanned in and it wasn't even in, in any t- type of format, let alone Excel. Uh, so an industry standard was created called Aces and Pies, which helped standardize the auto parts fitment industry since it was so complex. And it's slowly, slowly being adopted now. So we take data and we transform it so that it's readable and usable online. That, that is quite interesting. Quite, quite, quite interesting. All right, so that's how you go about simplifying the experience. You know, um, so so I guess you you get it raw, you get it as raw as possible, and then re- you refine it and customize it to your standards exactly. and standards on your on your website. Okay, um, how many SKUs did you start off with? Um, by the we way, started out about uh, fifty thousand. Okay, SKUs, which is still a lot in most industry standards, mm-hmm. not in auto parts, but um, it was a small enough data set that we can. We were able to massage it, learn the data, what the the pain points are, where we can thrive, mm-hmm. uh, what was needed on a on a transactional basis for a customer, mm-hmm. um, what was needed to load the, that data into marketplaces such as eBay and Amazon, which we sell on, mm-hmm. and uh, we took it from there. And as as we got more comfortable with data, we started to add more SKUs. Okay. 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 Now, do you stock all like, five hundred thousand SKUs? What, well, we it? personally don't stock anything. Uh, we are a dropship company. That's our model. We use different um, distributors to dropship the products for us. So all of those SKUs are inventoried in about seventy different warehouses across the country. Well, you're you're the second um, well fast growth. E-commerce business. I'm, you know, I'm talking to from from the states that um, that's a dropship business essentially. So I guess you're building a lot of value with the customer experience and um, with the post purchase. I guess customer retention and, um, like you said, yes, post purchase and pre purchase. I mean, you want to mm. massage your customer. Um, you know, we have uh, what we use as an inbound marketing strategy, so it's right. a little different than direct marketing. Mm-hmm. We try to pull the customer in during that research process. So it's very difficult to compete with the likes of an Amazon during the point of sale. So if something, somebody knows what they want, mm-hmm. they're going to type in that SKU or that item. 
they're going to usually find it on Amazon cheapest exactly. or another source cheapest, purchase that product, and that's it. So how uh, do you beat Amazon? How, how would you... So an inbound marketing strategy is how you beat Amazon. Uh, you try to grab that customer before the purchase, during the research phase. Um, most people that are looking at you know, specifically auto parts are researching if they don't know directly like a mechanic what they need, they're researching a part, their car, uh, what it does in the car. You know, mm-hmm. There's a million different data points to where we can hit somebody before that actual purchase. So um, what we do is we'll build a, you know, we built an auto wiki on our site, which tells you, oh, you know, okay. thousands of pages of, of information describing what a part is, how it's installed, how you can build it, mm. uh, a certain aspect of the card, how you can update your car, um, you know, just historical items on cars themselves mm-hmm. and manufacturers. I mean, every type of item you can think of around a vehicle, whether it's part-related, vehicle-related, manufacturer-related, we, we put into our wiki, hoping that, you know, along with our blog, it'll attract the customer to a certain page. Once the customer is hitting that page, uh, you offer them a coupon, you offer them for their email address so that you can kind of massage them through the funnel of their purchase process, right. hoping that they'll stay with you down the line. So, so two things I've picked up. It's all about their email address. You, you want to get their email address, but, but ethically, because you've given value to them initially yes. from, from research. Um, second question I wanted to ask was in regards to images. Are, are your guides quite visual? Uh, yes, images are very important for us. Uh, we have uh, close to 10 terabytes worth of images that we host. Jeez, okay. So um, images are very, very important to us as well as video. Uh, we have a, a lot of video out there on mm-hmm. different parts, how they're installed, um, what they look like in a car, how you can use different parts in different different situations what what's the difference between a regular rotor and a slotted rotor i mean there's just so Mm -hmm. much data that's involved in each purchase that uh, we try to give the customer as much of it as they can possibly get i haven't actually checked your youtube video your youtube channel i'm I'm, I'm checking so most of the most of our videos actually aren't housed on our youtube channel but other people's youtube channels Uh, Uh, we sponsor a lot of different mechanics out there and what they do We'll provide them with free parts, with um, with support, with with anything that we can give them to build out their own YouTube channels and create a customer base. Um, we're not mechanics; we're parts guys. So we clever. provide these mechanics who have the knowledge with the parts they need to make informational videos uh, around themselves. So you, you call brands, you sponsor content out there exactly. that you can't necessarily, you don't necessarily want to, to, to get your hands dirty, you know, in literally speaking. Uh, <laughs> we probably will. We have a couple informational videos. Okay. Uh, it's just very difficult to scale that uh, since we have so many different parts and types of vehicles. So um, I, I can't imagine can't that imagine. scaling that becomes pretty, uh, a pretty daunting task. So, mm-hmm. Uh, we start off just like we started off selling, using other people's um, abilities to sell products for us. Okay, okay. Let's go back to drop shipping. Um, a lot of pundits in, in e-commerce have said, um, you know, drop shipping isn't you know the most um, 
efficient of business models. I mean, Amazon started out as um, in the drop shipping model. Zappos tried it, and then they soon realized um, they had to, you know, switch over to to owning their stock. Do you see it as a viable model long term? Um, uh, absolutely. Okay. Uh, I, the last thing that I want to do is hold stock. <laughs> um, it is more profitable to hold stock and sell your own items, but uh, it is there's a lot that comes with that. You know, purchasing a warehouse, purchasing parts, managing those parts, knowing what to move. You know, if I have five hundred thousand SKUs, uh, it would cost me close to fifty million dollars plus to Your balance sheet handle, to just go yeah, <laughs> yeah through the roof. Yes, um, so the the return on that investment would take a lot longer to pay off. Plus, I have to hire a whole new staff just to manage that warehouse stuff. stuff yeah. yeah um, I mean, not only warehouse, then you're talking about purchasing department, buying department, mm-hmm. inventory yeah. department. I mean, it's, it's, it's a know, different You skill. leave it to the people for, in our point of view, you leave it to the people who do it best. This is their industry. This is what they've done for the past 60, 70 years. And there's no reason to try to step into their so, do, do you ever worry that your suppliers or your distributors could come in, um, hire some, some whiz kid, to you know, develop an e-commerce operation uh, rival you know your your business. No, I don't. Uh, they don't want to be in the online business. Okay. Uh, it's much more profitable them, for them to be in a distribution business than a, a direct sales business. Um, they see the headache that we have to go through to acquire and sell a customer, and for them uh, to acquire and sell someone like me who sells parts is a lot easier. So if they mm-hmm. have 30, 40 people like me who are selling parts and they're distributing to them, um, it's a lot easier for them to build a distribution model than a direct sales model online. Not only that, if they decide to go into a direct sales model online, guys like me who buy from them will no longer buy from them. Mm-hmm. So it's it's you know a catch-22 for them. Do they want to stay in the distribution game or do they want to venture into the online sales game? It makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense, Mike. Okay, so how so for for our listeners wondering or well, thinking about going into dropshipping, how did you manage to convince distributors to work with you if they're going to ship for you? You know, it's a hassle. Um, absolutely, you need to well, that's actually their that's their industry. So mm. if they don't want to ship for you, there's got to be a pretty good reason there. Now, if you're unproven or you don't uh, you don't have the wherewithal to do it online, obviously. You know, it's it's sales on your part, selling the distributor on why you would be a good client for them, uh, why you're going to sell parts for them. Uh, and it always starts slow. It's, you're not going to get the best pricing up front. You're not mm-hmm. going to get the best uh, shipping time and delivery up front. Um, you have to spend some money on your end on building, you know, if they have an API system or an email system for for handling those parts, you have to invest in what makes their system work. But um, eventually, over time, as you start to build your sales with that particular distribution company, you can go back to them and say, all right, starting to do more business with you. I need better prices and I'll do more business. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, now I'm doing X a month. I need even better prices. And you, it's a game. You keep going back to them, showing them the value that you provide and essentially getting better pricing from them, which is the end game. Uh, the better the pricing, the higher your margins. Mm. It's it's a leverage. It's like trench warfare. You, exactly. you gain some ground and then you move on. 
Okay, okay, okay. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Okay, so what team size, what minimum viable team size would a startup need to support, you know, a dropship model initially? It really depends on the technical wherewithal of the start of, of, of the owner. Um, mm. You know, myself, I'm not amazingly technically gifted. Uh, that's why I partnered with uh, David. Okay. He uh, has been involved in technology and, you know, is, is probably one of the um, smartest uh, technologists I've ever seen. So mm. for him, uh, it made perfect sense for us to partner up. I, you know, I could do the business end of things, handle, you know, initially the customer service myself and uh, let him worry about the technology to start. It was the two of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as sales grew and business grew, uh, we brought more people on board. Um, we, we started with, a, with a, a secondary developer. Then we brought on another customer service person and a catalog person and another catalog person and another developer and another customer service person. And, you know, you slowly add roles as you go. So how did how how did your team look like in 2012? In 2012, uh, it's hard to even think that. <laughs> uh, in 2012, I believe we had four to five people on staff full time. Full time, okay, okay. And um, were they all developers or? No, we had split? customer service, which is extremely important. Mm. Um, you need to make your customers happy. It's that's probably the most important aspect of the business. We did have developers, and we had a catalog person full time. So, someone whose sole job is to uh, load and manage the catalogs. You know, mm-hmm. Your catalog is essentially your baby. If if it's not fully kept up and, and tended to, it's, it's going to get out of control, and you're going to have a world of hurt. That's heavy lifting with five hundred thousand SKUs. Yeah, well, we didn't start with that many. So mm, in twenty twelve. So, um, what does the team look like now? Now we have about four time full time equivalents, as we like to call them. Okay, uh, we're spread out across eight countries and seven different time zones. Okay, how does that work? Um, how does that work? Um, <laughs> good question. It's it's a lot to manage, but we find that. The best talent always isn't on your doorstep. Mm. Uh, you know, the world is flat these days. And if you could find the best employee in the Ukraine, then that's where you should work with that employee. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a, a great task management system. Uh, we use Jira, okay. which um, is, is, you know, extremely extremely good at organizing and building out tasks for mm-hmm employees and and staff um we also tied that into a time management tracking system so we could track everybody's time spent on each project uh so you know what's being done at all times it's uh capturing their their workflow screenshots everything so we know similar to odesk uh customized for us okay okay that makes sense so it's auto installed on their desk yeah, we, we, I mean, it's a, it's a web app. Computer, it's, sorry, it's a web exactly. app, okay, okay. Both Jira and Time Doctor. Um, Time Doctor, web apps. Okay. You just run them in the background while you're working. And- I'll, I'll share, I'll share these, um, these resources in, in the show notes. Okay, right. Uh, and then, so, so you have, so how many staff do you have? 14. 14 in eight time zones. Okay, so Correct. some are in Europe, some are in Asia, I guess. 
Yes. Uh, and um, some, some are in the States with you. Correct. And how many people work in New York, in, in your New York office? Four. Four, okay. That makes sense. Okay. And then of the 14, how many customer service people um, are there? Three. Three. That's good stuff. Okay. That makes sense. Okay, let's move into traffic and customer acquisition. Wondering what your number one customer acquisition channel is. Organic. Organic. I could see it from here in, um, in similar web. It says um, close to 50% or well, 41% of your traffic is from search. Actually, uh, 60%. 60. Wow. Yes. 60. Do you, do you run paid advertising? We do. Paid accounts for about 30%. Okay. 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 What did you do first? Um, did you start off with organic and then? We, yes, we were always organic first. Um, we only started paid, I think, in 2013. Wow. So uh, we were always organic. We definitely believe in, in organic search as being a viable model. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that it's cheaper than paid. Mm-hmm. Uh, the misconception is that organic is free. Free traffic. Um, yeah. I mean, there's nothing in this world that's free. It no. couldn't be truer for Google. <laughs> um, you know, if you want organic traffic, you have to build out one, an extremely indexable site that Google likes. You have to be putting content out all the time that's rich, fresh, and that's people want to use and read. Uh, you have to constantly be updating and um, working on your social. You have to be, I mean, there's so many elements to organic search that it could end up essentially costing more than just a pay-per-click. Absolutely. Um, so uh, you kind of have to see which makes the most sense. Is, is it not volatile, um, a channel, because of the, the updates, the pandas, especially the size of your website, of Car Parts mm. King, um, especially Panda? How did, you, how did you pass through those major algorithm changes? Uh, we had updates. to make adjustments. Uh, you definitely get hit with the likes of a panda. Uh, you know, there's definitely tools out there that you can use to make sure that... Um, you're not completely shut down by it. You know, if your traffic decreases 20, 30%, you look at what's being decreased, what they're hitting, why they're doing it, and you make adjustments. Um, you know, people that say, oh, well, organic's not a viable model because oh, the next uh, organic or uh, the next algorithmic change by Google is going to sink your business. You know, I think that's a bit extreme. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're just sinking your business with one algorithm change. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but, um, you know, we've, we've definitely got dinged by the changes, but we've never been in such bad shape where we couldn't recover from it. Uh, that's, that's quite interesting. So what about your number two acquisition channel? Where, 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 where do you see the second most important um, uh, customer channel? Paid search is definitely probably mm. a close second for us. Uh, okay. it's, it's a lot to manage. We actually have an agency that manages it for us. Okay. Um, you know, maybe one day we'll bring it in-house, but the, just due to the large data set that we have and the yeah. amount of uh, variables in each search uh, term, yeah. we, we use a, a specialty agency that focuses in the auto part world. Okay. Uh, and, and what's your daily spend like on, on, on AdWords? I can imagine. Uh, we run at about you know, 1000 about a thousand dollars a day and on a high day generally it's, it's, in the, it's in that range and are there any pick periods like you know in in normal 
you know, um, consumer e-commerce you'd find, you know, um, November and December are the busiest, you know, periods. Oh, so our busiest season by far is the summertime. Summer. Um, yeah, spring and summer. Um, two reasons. One, uh, that's when people can get outside and work on their cars. You know, mm-hmm. People love to work on their cars. And when it's nice out, they bring it out of the garage. They put it in the driveway. They work on their cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go racing. They race their cars in the summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also heat destroys cars um you know the cold actually does well for cars it doesn't damage them too bad but heat fries electronical components Mm -hmm. damages mufflers uh puts damage in tires so the hotter it is the more parts we sell it's good stuff while you're in the office you know everybody's out in the sunshine Mm -hmm. okay and and is is all your seo managed in-house or do you outsource that also to an agency or parts of it to an agency uh no it's all in-house but uh we we outsource a lot of it to freelancers okay Um, you know we we manage it all internally and i built a good team around us content writers bloggers uh videographers um, social team. I mean, it's uh, it's siloed off, but it's all managed overall in house. I guess the heart of your your SEO strategy, you know, boils down to content to yes. to, to yeah, search engine friendly content. And and then what about SKUs? That's a big problem. Um, when you get it directly from manufacturers and they share the same data to ten other car manufacturers, how do you? manage 500,000 SKUs and get them unique? Um, It's a good question. So when that data is shared, it generally is missing a lot of different um, attributes, a lot of features, Mm -hmm. images, you know, what have you. So we'll load it in as they give it, and then we'll come and take a second pass at it, see what we can add ourselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll take a third pass and see what the the Internet has. I mean, obviously, the Internet's a valuable resource, and you could find uh, a lot of valuable information out there. So we'll take a third pass at it. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll put it up on the site, let it run through, and then if customers have recommendations, we'll tweak and change uh, SKUs as, as we go along. We have a... Uh, what we like to call like a SKU management system, where it makes it very easy for anybody within the company to manage a SKU. So if you see something wrong, you could go in, enter the SKU, change a picture on the fly, uh, different attributes, descriptions, fitments, whatever it has that that needs adjusting, and then we can get it back up and refresh by the next day. Okay, okay. Sounds like a lot of work. Yes. Yeah, it is, it is, it is. So you you add value to to the core data set. Exactly. Now, there are companies out there that, that, that would license you the data. Okay. Um, they have the data and they'll license it to you. Uh, it's a good way to start, but you have to realize then you're no different than anybody else licensing that data. Exactly. Uh, everybody has the same data, data set. Google's looking at everybody that's the same and kind of keeping them in, at the same level within the SERPs. Now, the second that you have unique or different data, you're going to move up in the SERPs. Exactly. So it's, it's important. But that's along with domain authority to Google, which, you know... Um, which could separate you from the from the rest. Okay, this is quite interesting. It's, it's uh, there's a lot to, to to talk about. So, so um, in regards to marketplaces, what's been the? Um, did you start off with marketplaces? Yes, um, we did. We started off on eBay actually. Ah, was, okay. Um, our start, uh, we we saw it was actually relatively easy to sell the parts on eBay. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that's what we did. We partnered up with a um, somebody who was licensing the data to us just so we can get up and selling so that we'd have some revenue come in to build the rest of the company out. Uh, we sold with them for a few months. Uh, and then when we had the... Uh, the, our own data set built out. We dumped them and started listing direct on eBay. Uh, okay. Then we started uh, selling on Amazon was next. So uh, we moved uh, from Amazon to our own website. Mm-hmm. Then we started selling with some other channels such as Sears, Newegg, Rakuten, Mercado Libre, uh, whatever marketplace we can get our parts on that have a fitment tool. I've got two questions in regards to marketplaces. One, how does Amazon compare to eBay in 2015 for a business like yours? Uh, For a business like mine and auto parts, it's Mm -hmm. relatively even. Uh, They started out a lot slower. So eBay was much bigger for us initially, but Amazon has come on very strong lately. And uh, our sales are growing uh, at a rapid pace on Amazon. So we're about equal with Amazon and eBay sales. Okay. Second question has got to do with um, the, the other marketplaces. Which mm. do you think is going to be the fastest growing and want to watch? What For us, uh, those other marketplaces don't really do much business now. If you're in electronics, I would say a new egg is, is probably the best for you or a Rakuten, um, you know, to go overseas. Mercado Libre is growing rapidly, but, um, it really depends on the product that you're selling. Uh, that's where the marketplaces, the other marketplaces really come into play. Okay. You know, Jet, the new marketplace coming out. Yes. We can't really sell on Jet because they don't have a fitment tool. So okay. uh, you, you won't be able to know that that item fits your vehicle. But maybe in time they will. But for now, it'd be nice to go on to that marketplace in one of the other industries. It'd be interesting. Interesting. Okay. Um, I'm just going to talk about or ask you a question about social media before we, you know, we, we talk about um, retention and loyalty. What impact does social media made on the brand Mm. thus far thus far it hasn't actually been as um effective as engaging as as big and as much of a a necessity as people make it out to be you know maybe it's just our industry uh people buying auto parts tend to not talk about it a lot online and share that information it's, boring, and isn't it? it's not like clothing where mm-hmm. people are online talking and taking pictures and uh, engaged in clothing or electronics uh, auto parts is a very um specific industry with a specific demographic you know 50 plus year old men aren't on facebook talking about the break order that they just saw there. Last winter, I um, I was speaking with um, the owner owner of a company called Drift Works in in Birmingham, actually, which is about an hour from here. I live in Oxford. And he, um, his business is similar to yours. He sells auto parts, but it's to enthusiasts of drift, you know, drift cars. So they share their videos. They're very passionate about what they do. But I guess in the consumer end, like yours, you know, I just buy the parts, fix it. To me, it's it's more like a headache, really, yeah. if my car breaks down. And why would I want to share that experience? <laughs> well, there's, there is a segment that does tend to share a little bit more online, which is performance. Mm, exactly. Um, you know, there are performance parts, which we sell. So, you know, people upgrade certain things. Uh, You can think of the Fast and the Furious, you know. Exactly. People uh, tend to make really big brakes or a giant exhaust system or giant headers on the car or something like that. Exactly. 
you know, it, that tends to be shared a little bit, but even not so much as anything else. So for us, you know, we have a decent user base. We try to engage them, mm-hmm. but it hasn't been the, you know, the next big thing that everybody claims it is. What uh, about mobile? Uh, were, are people mobile has devices? been very big for us. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so we've seen an increase year over year very rapidly for mobile adoption. You know, I'll pop into my analytics here and tell you what our, uh, our mobile versus, you know, regular. So uh, we're seeing about, um, let's take a look here. In the past, I'll go back six months. Oh, mobile is accounting for, you know, close to 35% of our traffic now and growing. Well, um, so is it research oriented or is it transactional? Both, both. Uh, people are using their phones much more often these days. Absolutely. So whether it's a phone or a tablet, what we did, we did a full-on mobile redesign. Uh, we launched about six months ago, full mobile first. Uh, we have a completely different experience on your phone, on your tablet, or on the mm-hmm. website, mm-hmm. Uh, depending on screen size. And we've seen a huge boost in conversion rate due to it. Very interesting. Very, very yeah. interesting. Okay, I'm going to ask you one question about customer retention, and sure. um, and that's because you're you're a dropship business. What advice would you give to drop shippers or people looking to go into drop shipping? Perhaps their existing businesses trying to expand their offering through drop shipping, or um, their startups looking to to get into a particular model, into a particular industry or vertical, with drop shipping in mind. What fundamentals from a customer service standpoint should they be aware of for success? Now, I don't see a dropshipper as any different than somebody who's inventory and selling. To the customer, they don't know you're dropshipping. Most dropshippers white label boxes, so it has your your label on it and whatever you want to put in the box. You want to put something about your company, a magnet, a coupon for the next purchase. Mm -hmm. Uh, You want to put tape on the box that's specific to you. Um, whatever it is, it's it's looking like it's coming from you these days. That's how most dropshippers do it. Mm-hmm. So for them, I, I don't see a big difference in uh, customer retention from a from an inventory and ship model than a dropship model. I, I see them as the same. Uh, what we do is we put something about us in each and every box that goes out, um, whether it's a magnet, a sticker, uh, a coupon offering for the next purchase a note that asks them to please call us if there's anything wrong and we'll make it right okay. uh, to, to keep reviews there. And, you know, we always try to obviously capture emails so that you can continue to market them and market to them uh, throughout their, their lifetime. You know, obviously lifetime value of a customer is extremely important for us. How do you measure lifetime value over 12 months or more? Uh, we do it over a longer period of time than that because generally the average order time is, is is longer than most industries because you know you know we have three different customer segments you know knowing your customer segments is obviously very important Absolutely. so for us we have three uh, which is the uh, do-it-yourselfer is one the person whose car breaks down they know nothing about parts but they know the mechanic will tell them so they buy and ship direct to the mechanic that's mm-hmm. two uh, and the third is the mechanic themselves so mechanics and professionals buy from us direct okay um so you know the ltv is measured differently for each customer now a mechanics ltv is going to be measured a lot differently than a, a one-time buyer for a broken part 
Exactly. So uh, we have different LTVs for different types of customers. I mean, uh, the frequency of purchase would be up the roof for, for mechanics, I, I, exactly. I would assume. Yeah, they could purchase you know, 10 times a month or more, whereas a one-time purchaser could purchase one time a year. So, so it might get complicated in the back end when you're trying to actually segment, you know, um, group them. Um, Everything's complicated, but yes, uh, it was a, it was a, a definitely a challenge for us to group and differentiate those customers. It's really, really good stuff. Really good stuff. Okay, um, and what about average order value? Has it grown over the years? No, for us, it's actually shrunk over the years. Uh, as we've grown, we've uh, had to become more competitive on price. So. What we tend to do is pull a lot more uh, items into each order. You know, we offer free shipping on each item, so we pull that out of our average order value when we mm. calculate. So, if someone has four or five parts in an order, it's a lot more valuable for us. So, mm. um, you know, we tend to compete heavily on pricing and, and retention, and not worry so heavily on order value. We, we want them to keep coming back as customers. Okay. Do, do you make use of any repricing software to, to yes. adjust prices? Okay. Uh, we reprice uh, everywhere, on our website, on our, the marketplaces, eBay and Amazon. So uh, we're, we're heavily involved in our pricing. What about personalization? Is, is, is there any um, module personalization sort of engine built into to the experience? So um, I see or I get different recommendations as compared to we we're looking into it it's just it's very difficult due to fitment mm. um you know we can we can offer you a, a subset of a product or like a universal part along with the product that you're purchasing but it's very difficult to offer on a, a module like you know it's just a normal plug-in one that we're not developing ourselves you know a recommendation engine that's going to work with our fitment system so it's something we're looking into we don't we don't currently do a lot of on the website okay okay interesting okay let's move into fulfillment uh, do you are you into international cross-border e-commerce we sell to every country that allows us to sell into uh we actually just ran a report over the last 90 days we shipped to more than 140 different countries <laughs> That's amazing. So, um, yeah, as long as we're able to ship parts in, we will ship parts in. Did you start out um, with international? With did you start out the business shipping abroad or? No, we started out in the states and expanded internationally. And a great way to expand internationally uh, without too much of a headache if you're in the states is using eBay's global shipping program. So if you're selling within eBay, Mm -hmm. you can offer your products to you know 100 plus countries. Uh, and only ship to a warehouse located in Kentucky, and then they take they take the headache of international shipping out of it. Wow. You ship to Kentucky, then they handle it from Kentucky to wherever it's going. There must be something for for eBay UK or eBay EU. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm not too sure, but I'm sure something out there exists. Interesting, very very interesting. Um, so, what's the share of domestic to 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 international? International accounts for about fifteen uh, percent of our business right now, but it's growing. It's a very large growing sector for us. Substantial, Okay, um, and where, where, where are your top countries? Um, uh, believe it or not, there Kazakhstan uh, <laughs> is is a huge one for us. Yeah, you know, came out of nowhere. We would have never thought in a million years. <laughs> what kind of car? What kind of car parts do they buy in Kazakhstan? Uh, you got to ask Borat. I'm not too sure. Um, <laughs> They, you know, they, they buy a ton of parts from us, uh, everything from brake parts to suspension, exhaust, everything. Russia is really big for us. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Australia, very big for us. Um, you know, it, it, there are reasons that we would have never thought or planned ahead of time would have been successful for us. Uh, and that naturally kind of what happens when business, you know, you launch something expecting one thing and you get a totally different result. So, um, you know, you could do your research and find out that, you know, Japan is one of the most heavily imported countries for auto parts and then not sell anything into Japan but sell <laughs> tons of parts into Egypt. So it's, <laughs> you know, it's kind of whatever the market di- dictates. You don't know until you try. Exactly. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about your turnover now. Um, no, actually, let's go back to, to fulfillment. So, so how many suppliers do you, do you manage? We manage four main distributors. Okay. Uh, we did grow to more than that, where we had, I think, close to 15. And it wasn't worth the headache mm. uh, to save a couple dollars here on... You know, let's say, you know, one distributor has 100,000 SKUs and the other distributor has 100,000 SKUs. Mm. Some of those SKUs will cross over, some won't. So let's say, call it, you know, 15% of the SKUs will cross over. Mm. So what we did was we built an algorithm to say, okay, who is the closest to the customer and who was the cheapest? And then we'd send the order to that distributor. Mm. Uh, We found that it wasn't worth it at the end of the day. There was too much headache involved in managing all those distributors. So we Mm -hmm. cut it down to four of our best distributors, and we give all the business to those four. Uh, we found that we get better service that way mm-hmm. uh, as we're a bigger customer with those distributors, and then essentially we get better pricing as well because you're doing more business with them. Absolutely. You keep it simple, and then you, you invest in the relationships, really. Exactly. Build your, 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 your purchase power too with them. Okay, so, so what's turnover, what was turnover in 2014? Turnover as far as revenue, sorry. Um, Revenue in 2014 was close to about 7 million. 7 million, well. Yeah, and in 2015, we're on pace for 10 plus million. 10 plus million. And um, so you you have 8 million pounds, sorry, dollars generated by 14 staff. Amazing. So the, the revenue per head is substantial. Very substantial, six seven hundred thousand dollars. Okay, and um, what about um your your so your gross margins are like close to thirty percent. Thirty percent, not bad, not not bad for um for, for dropship. So let's fast forward to your first year. What was revenue like in in your first year of operation? Revenue in our first year of operation. That's a good question. Um, so long ago, I think we were close to you know. 250 to 300,000 sales. We, we didn't do very much sales in our first year. Most of it was building. Well, well. And then um, it's it's been, we're, we're in 2014 now. It's, so in, in two years, you grew the business from quarter of a million dollars to, to $8 million, essentially. Yes. Okay. So, so what did revenue look like in 2013? So in 2011, as I said, we were about the two, you know, 250,000. Mm-hmm. 2012, we did 2.4 million. Uh, 2013, we did about 4.5 million and um, growing from there. That's fantastic. That's impressive growth. Um, you've pretty much doubled the business every year since 2012. Mm-hmm. That's, that's impressive. So, given how rapidly you, you, you've grown Carbhart's King, how do you envisage growth? to be over the next three years at the same pace or uh, same pace setting? or more rapid uh, we, I'd love to see us grow 10x over the next three years that's, that, that's ambitious and um, where do you see the growth coming from uh, adding more SKUs higher conversions to the site and we're trying to 
build more revenue through the site direct, uh, especially with international sales. International sales, okay, and, and more SKUs. Yeah, this this is pretty 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 extensive. Um, so uh, I was checking out your your, your parent company site, mm-hmm. and um, I came across um, plumbers. Um, there's 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 another business. Um, is is there a reason you're you know you're going into the plumbing industry or? Well, uh, what we found was you know spending so much time and building out such a robust e-commerce uh, system. There was nothing that prevented us from going into other industries. Uh, we built a process that can take in uh, any SKU. You know, you want to call it SKU X, uh, transform it, load it into our system, and sell it everywhere and anywhere rather quickly. So, really, the only thing that was holding us back was relationships. You know, if we had a great relationship with a dropshipper uh, in any industry, we could sell in that industry. And so we uh, we went out and started talking some people and um that's uh that's how we got into plumbing uh we had a great opportunity to uh to go into the plumbing industry and we had some great prices and you know good partner uh drop shipper and that's why we've made the foray it's impressive okay um i'm gonna round off by asking you what one tip would you give to our listeners looking to see the growth you have you know, seen over the last four years. I think uh, it's tough to say growth wise. I mean, it's easier to answer a question of, you know, what tip would you have for someone maybe entering the industry or, or, you know, that wants to to be able to manage it a little easier. And I think that's, uh, don't go after such a large skew count. Um, keep it simple, go after, you know, 10,000 SKUs, Find out what the best sellers are, um, master those SKUs, and then kind of grow from there. You know, don't take on too much in the beginning. You know, if you have a vendor who says, "Oh, I have a hundred thousand SKUs for you," that may be great, but it's going to delay you a great deal into getting online and selling. And not only that, it's going to be very hard to report on what is selling. You know, it's, there's always the eighty twenty rule. Uh, you're only going to sell about twenty percent max mm-hmm. of, of the catalog that you have online. So uh, there's no reason to go after such a, a heavy heavy inventory set from day one. Great advice. Great advice. Keep it simple and then scale out. Great advice. Thank you so much for, for being part of the show, coming here, taking your time, um, and the listeners will be appreciative. I would um, put all our notes in, in the show notes of, in, in this um, episode. Um, thank you again, Mike. And um, yes, um, everybody, Mike um, from CarPartsKing.com. Um, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of 2X E-Commerce. To help you get more actionable insights and e-commerce growth hacks that will help you 2X your online retail business, hop over to 2xecommerce.com. It's a blog dedicated to e-commerce and multi-channel marketing run by the show's host, Kunle Campbell. 2xecommerce.com is packed full of articles and guides to help increase traffic to your store, increase repeat purchases, and average order value. Thanks for listening. Visit 2xecommerce.com.